Welcome back to Wick Gift Conversations. This is the podcast where we talk to staff and pupils about topics that are relevant to you. In this episode, we're stepping into English because we have with us today Kerry Mason. Kerry is the head of junior English and deputy head of first form, that's year seven. And she's about to tell us what exciting events the junior English department gets involved in, what her favorite thing is about teaching English and what the junior Shakespeare evening is all about. This is a lovely episode. So come with me now as we step into the wonderful world of English at school with Kerry Mason. Kerry, thank you for joining us on this episode of the podcast. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's great to have you here. It's great to see you giving up your time. We're recording this on a Thursday. A Thursday is usually busy for you. Actually, this uh, this Thursday on a, a B week, the afternoon is actually quite nice and quiet for me, actually, uh, which is nice. And uh, year 11s are doing their mocks at the moment. So that also um, freed up a little bit more time, which is good. I imagine that's the reason why this episode was booked in for, for right now, because it's a bit of a quieter time for you. I did, did see it on your schedule and nabbed it absolutely straight away. Yeah, I thought that would work well. So just tell me a little bit about your background. I mean, how long have you been teaching at Whitgift for? So this is my third year. So I'm nearly halfway through uh, my third year. Um, but I've been teaching for, gosh, I think this is my 11th year. Um, right. So yeah, I'm still relatively new, I guess, to Whitgift in some, some regards. And on that basis, you must have joined, is that just before the pandemic in that case? Yes. Yeah, so it was, uh, now I look back on it, a very, very strange time. So I came in to interview... Um, just before February half term. And obviously little did we know what was going to kind of unfold after that. And then, yep, schools went into lockdown. So I finished at my my last school being in lockdown. So I had that kind of strange transition where you, you sort of left, but never really get to kind of leave. And then started uh, very much where we still had um, bubbles, classes in bubbles and staff not being able to mix. So my first year at Whitgift, I always say, wasn't really a first year, I almost, Last year was my first year seeing the school mm. up and running and kind of uh, running at full tilt. So how did you get into teaching in the first place? I mean, what was it about teaching that appealed to you? Yeah, I'm, I guess, one of those lucky people that ever since kind of, I guess, about 15 years old, I just wanted to be a teacher. It was just kind of what oh, wow. I wanted to do. Um, so I'm quite mm. lucky in that regard that I've, I've sort of managed to achieve that. So I never had the careers drama that lots of my friends did in terms of what am I going to do with myself? Um, and I suppose... I was lucky enough, I had a very inspirational uh, English teacher when I was at school called Mrs. Gregory. Uh, if she's out there, maybe she, she'll hear me. Um, and I just remember her being just a really, just lovely woman, really, and just uh, spending a lot of time, you know, like obviously she would teach us and she had a great passion for literature, but she also was very human. So she would share a lot of stories about her cat. She was always bananas about her cat. And I just looked forward to those lessons and it just felt like a really lovely space to be in. So I guess the sort of two came together like that. And um, yeah, I was lucky enough to sort of go on and, and achieve my dream in that sense. I think we should make a bid now to track down Mrs. Gregory just to make sure that she hears this. Which school was that that you were at that she was teaching at? That was uh, Queen Elizabeth's uh, Grammar School in Faversham in Kent. Um, so a few years after I graduated, actually, I went back. So I did see her then. She was quite close to retirement then. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I like to think of her being retired somewhere down in Cornwall with her cats, uh, having a lovely with time. Cats. Yeah, reading some middle English. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that she's having a lovely time down there. OK, and clearly English is, is your specialist subject, your weapon of choice. Mm. What is it about English in particular then? Oh, um, 
I've actually always had, when I was at school myself, actually, I would say for most of my school years, I was actually pretty rubbish at English, actually. You know, my grades were always really, really low. Um, I was always the one being picked up for spelling errors and punctuation errors. Um, and I remember just sort of getting to year nine, Mrs. Gregory started to teach me, and she kind of just instilled this sense that actually it's more about what you're trying to communicate and not get so hung up on on how you're sort of doing it. And I think that just unlocked this kind of other world. And there are so many other worlds connected to English. You know, every time you pick up a book or a text or a magazine, um, there's just so much waiting for you. Um, and I just enjoy the sense that English, there's just endless possibilities. And although we have a sort of curriculum to follow and skills we want to cover off, I think ultimately you can just tailor it to the students you have in front of you. Um, you know, each cohort brings with them sort of different interests. Um, some are really into sci-fi, others it's really sport, others sort of like history bent and you can just tailor it to kind of their needs. And when you're passionate and the children are passionate, it just makes for such an exciting classroom. Um, and that's what I love about teaching as well. Like every every 45 minutes we get an, a different round of just excitement. And that's that's I'm very privileged in that regard that that's what I do for my for my living. It's interesting there that you mentioned excitement because, you know, thinking back to when people were at school that are listening to this podcast episode right now, or maybe even their parents, so the grandparents really of the children that are listening to this right now, a lot of them will remember English lessons at school, possibly being very interesting subject material, like, you know, Dickens, for example, mm -hmm. but maybe not taught in a very exciting way like we have it today. What other changes do you see have happened over the last 50 years in the way that we teach things like English? I think one of the most fundamental shifts, I suppose, has been sort of validation of student opinion. I think probably 50 years ago, there was a way to interpret a text uh, and that's the right way. And, and you were taught it and you learnt it and you moved on. Um, but I think now it's we're much more open to actually, what do you think? And actually, well, maybe we can challenge that interpretation or everybody's view is, is valid. And I think it's about putting the student at the centre of the text rather than the text or the author, you know, Dickens, Shakespeare kind of being at the heart of everything. I think there's almost like a nice balancing up actually of um, obviously we respect these writers and those authors, but we're also here in a more sort of equal way to sort of investigate, challenge um, and give our own opinions, which I think is, is really nice. And perhaps hopefully I'd like to think makes English a little bit less intimidating, I would like to think. Yeah, no, I like that. I do like that. Mm. Okay, so let's stay on this theme of excitement for a second. Yeah. If I was just into the world of junior English at school, then what kind of exciting things would I see? So hopefully a huge variety, like we have a great, great English department um, here at Whitgift and everybody has their own interests and quirks and, and styles. So you would see uh, anything from, I'm just thinking now, uh, classes debating uh, who is the, the most defensible villain in in Shakespeare uh, you might come across to another class and they're writing they're creating their own monsters for kind of uh, that represent fears in modern society um, you've got classes uh, composing their own poetry there's just a whole raft of things going on all the time um, just before Christmas you would have seen uh, classes practicing Victorian dance moves kind of out on the playground because we were doing Christmas Carol. We were trying to get into Fezziwig's festive spirit. Um, so there's always a great variety of things going on. 
Now, I, I can't ask you the question, what, what's your favorite year group to teach? Mm. But um, maybe if I phrase it in a slightly different <laughs> way, um, which, which, which year group makes you smile the most? Let's put it that way when you're teaching Ooh, them. Well, that is difficult. And if any of my classes are listening, this could get me into trouble. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get out of it, this question a little bit. Uh, so I've always been, um, key stage three has always been my real passion. So I guess that's sort of six, seven, eight. Um, so I've always been what, a sort years, of... Uh, ages six, seven, eight, not year six, seven, eight. As in like a year group, year six, year, year seven. Year group six, seven, eight. Year okay. eight, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I've always kind of uh, led in, in those that kind of key stage. So I guess it would have to be uh, somewhere in that, in that mix, year six, year seven, or year eight. Um, and I guess the reason being is just when pupils leave primary school particularly um if they come from uh, like a state primary school a lot of the end of their experience of english has been you know very sats dominated it's very um spelling punctuation grammar heavy um so they're very technically accurate but they're been a little bit jaded by we have to do a whole raft of comprehensions or writing just for the sake of a test so I think it's almost bringing back to life like watering a plant after it's sort of been left in the greenhouse uh, far too long they just sort of spring back to life and the enthusiasm and creativity is just boundless um, and I think some of the ideas that children come up with is just if I could just bottle it and allow to steal it and copyright it I would make mm. millions um, <laughs> absolutely and I think as well they are just um, so willing to take a risk I think I definitely see pupils as they go kind of up, further up the school they become much more self-aware so sharing a piece of writing becomes much more you know uncomfortable for them because you know it is a personal thing writing but I think pupils when they're that little bit younger um and haven't yet lost that uh, innocence I suppose it is and they're just so willing to just go with you and give anything a try with the with the greatest of spirits I think. So Kerry as head of junior English does that mean that you're only involved in in the junior teaching uh, or are you involved in the older children as well? Yeah, good question. So, you know, I, I get, I'm very lucky. So I get to teach the whole um, range, as it were. So at the moment, I have classes from year six through to year 11, um, which is really helpful. A, especially now I'm kind of, I've been here for a little bit of time now. So getting to see pupils as they move through year groups, it's really lovely. Although they perhaps might not enjoy it when you're, they're in year 10 and they've grown about six foot um, and their voices are broken, but you can still remember them as, you know, the 10 year old yeah. boy that was bringing in their little model of a monster. Um, mm. I love that. And you're getting to see how they've developed um, both just sort of physically and, and in their personalities, but also with their writing as well. Um, mm -hmm. And it's also helpful for me as well, obviously, because I sort of know where that benchmark is in terms of GCSE. So I know what they've got to get to. So it helps me in terms of planning backwards to make sure we're not having too much fun uh, lower down the school. Yeah, no, of course, of course. <laughs> so you, you mentioned about which year groups make you smile uh, in a considerable way. Yeah. We're putting it that way. Um, tell us about some of the benefits of teaching some of the older children then. So I think definitely for my own sort of teaching, then definitely, like I say, it's, it's really understanding where they have to get to. So obviously they have exams to pass uh, at the end of their sort of school career, their GCSEs, their A-levels. So 
uh, for me professionally, it's really helpful to kind of know, all right, what skills do they need and, and what kind of areas do we need to put emphasis on lower down the school to make that easier for them when they get to sort of key stage four and key stage five. Um, and I think personally, just seeing how their tastes change as well and kind of how their interests change, just how they approach things changes, because obviously what will work and interest a class when they're in year seven would maybe totally not work, um, you know, when they're in year nine or in year 10. So I think it just really helps having a sense of the student and and the boy. Um, and obviously no, no child is is the same. Um, and I'm not saying that at all, but I just think it's helpful just to know the sort of get a sense of a general progression of of a boy, um, particularly in 2023. Like, obviously, I'm not a boy, so I've never been in a position of being one. So I think just seeing them at these different developmental stages is just really helpful in charting what the world is like for them and what they're seeing and what, what they value and what's what's important to them as well. Do you think it's a good idea for parents to read some of the same books that their children are reading, even though the books may be originally aimed at children, but just to sort of stay on the same level as, you know, or, or to be with your children as they're going through their education? Absolutely. Um, and particularly with literature, I think this this is the golden age at the moment of children's literature. Like uh, there are some incredible writers out there. Ooh, um, okay. And certainly like we have um, reading lessons in the lower school. So mine, I the boys recommend me a book. So I sit and read with them. So at the moment I'm reading um, Skullduggery Pleasants by Derek Lamdy. Um, mm -hmm. And I've been aware of this series for years and years and years. And always seen lots and lots of boys reading it and never picked it up. And I'm loving it. I cannot wait. Friday, period three, I've got the next reading lesson. I cannot wait to start the next section. Um, but wow. it's absolutely fantastic. And I think it just validates their experience and their reading as well. There is nothing more in like enthusing for them than being able to see that you have taken their recommendation seriously and that mm. you can discuss things with them. So I've got two boys in my classes that are one's a book ahead of me and one's a book behind me in the series so that's quite nice so we sit and have a bit of a debrief afterwards although they do threaten to spoil you know to give me a spoiler uh, constantly so i have to put my hands over mm. my ears uh, quite often mm. but yeah i mm. really do recommend it because i think there can sometimes be a sense that um children's literature at the moment is slightly dumbed down or you know like you know when i was a child you know i was reading dickens age seven or whatever um and there's a sense that perhaps there isn't value in in reading if it's not reading of a children's classic but i really think parents picking up these books I think it's really helpful just to see again the world from their child's eyes I think and kind of again what kind of um, issues they're facing that will be very different from when you and I and you know older grandparents were at school um, what's important to them how, what what's expected of them because expectations on them are very very different you know they are expected to be a much more global child much more aware of the world around them that I certainly wasn't um when I was mm. was a child um so yeah mm. I really recommend um yeah going down to your local library or coming into school we have great library here um and the librarians love they're great at sort of recommending books um so yeah and, and ask your son get them to read you know to recommend a book to you um and it's also really sweet to read alongside them as well because again you can just have a discussion about what what you're reading and i think mm. anything that makes your child feel as though they are empowered or are being valued or, you know particularly when they're younger boys love to be treated like they're a bit more grown up so i think that's a really lovely thing to do and how about the likes of david Williams? we, we tend to hear a lot about him in the mm -hmm. news not just with his tv stuff but but mainly to do with the books that he's writing and apparently they're going down very well is he an author that that you'd rate highly 
Absolutely. So there's a whole gamut. He really opened the door to um, celebrity children's literature, which is really where the money is at right now. So Jamie Oliver, David Baddiel, like it's an endless line of, oh. of um, celebrities turned writers, essentially. Um, I would say David Wellams is kind of like a, a, um, a rebooted sort of Roald Dahl in terms of the, it's very heavily illustrated, very, very funny, very, very innocent. So I would say, if, particularly if you've got reluctant readers at home, they're a great place to start because although the books themselves look huge uh, when you actually open them that you know the print is quite a nice size and there's lots of pictures mm. in there um, okay and they're sounds off... like my kind of book yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly uh, and they're accompanied by some great um there've been some great bbc adaptations as well like over christmas and things like that of you know gangster granny and bad dad and there are good radio productions of it as well which are quite nice to go alongside it um mm. so yeah so it is i can see you know for me personally with my taste like i can read it i still think Roald Dahl is a bit is a bit better i will i will go out there on the limb and say that but the boys love it and he's a great access point i think anything that gets children um reading is great you know diary of a wimpy kid is still huge i never quite got it but it's huge if it gets boys reading i i really don't mind <laughs> so i'm going to ask you another question now i, I think i'm going to guess your answer to it oh, but no. my follow-up question <laughs> is going to be why but the first question therefore is with with all of these newer authors coming through is there still room for shakespeare Mm, oh, very good question. I have this debate actually every year with year 11. Miss, why do we have to study Shakespeare? Mm. Um, so yes, I think there is absolutely still room for Shakespeare. I think he has to stay there on the curriculum. Um, mm -hmm. The reason I always give is just because I think Shakespeare people always get very hung up on the language of it and like, oh, it's hard to understand and oh, it's so old. But I think if you sort of park that to one side, Shakespeare... It's kind of the master at capturing what it means to be human and mm. the challenges that we face as human beings. And I think something that can be so universal and have stood the test of time for, for nearly 500 years now, still be mm. so relevant, you know, and, and sort of uh, apply to us in, in, a, in a day in a world that's so different to the time he was writing in. I think, mm. yes, he has to stay on there because okay. it's not about reading it just for the sake of the language. Although the language is beautiful and masterful. I think for me personally, it's more about what it teaches you about being human. Well, I'm glad that you said yes. Uh, I, I figured that your answer would be yes. <laughs> you you be answered yes. the why part straight away in there as well. I'm so that's, that's also very good. No, See, totally this is good. the problem with podcasting English teachers, I imagine. We just talk and talk and talk. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting though, uh, you know, because the newer authors are clearly much easier to read than the likes of Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that there might be some people listening to this who would like to read Shakespeare, but actually struggle with it. Maybe I'm just thinking of myself here because mm. every time I pick up Shakespeare, I get excited and then I read it and I think I don't really really understand much of this if there's anyone else like me out there maybe mm. this is just a selfish question i'm just asking it no. for myself but you know what could people do to get into shakespeare more so when they when they do find it hard to read well i'd say probably fundamentally this is possibly where schools perhaps haven't helped Shakespeare out, I suppose, is because he's supposed to be watched on stage. We're not necessarily supposed to read it like it is mm. a book. So I mm -hmm. definitely say uh, getting to see a production, like if you happen to be lucky enough to be near London, there's the Globe Theatre um, and they do five pound standing tickets. Um, and uh, me and a friend of mine always go in the summer and she's absolutely not into English at all, um, you know, and sometimes we'll both be there kind of and she'll sort of nudge me and be like, what does that mean? And I'll say, I don't know, but you can still <laughs> laugh yeah. along or you, you kind yeah. of just get sort of swept up in it and, and it's getting the just the general gist and the story, I think. So again, I would say don't 
overly um, press yourself into having to like read it and study it like it's a book at home because that is incredibly difficult thing to do um, mm. and something actually that's quite unnatural I suppose if you're studying a, a text like that you would be in a group and you'd be discussing it so I think either going to see something on stage or yeah getting into a, a group or a book group or something like that where you can perhaps be really unpopular and, and put it on as the book to read for that month and then at least you can discuss it with other people as well and definitely for younger people there are really really inventive things now like um shakespeare manga where they've taken the stories Ooh. and turned them into sort of graphic novels they're absolutely great because it's again it's obviously hardly any words in it it's just all picture based but again they're fantastic um mm. as well just for for enthusing younger people and again making it seem a bit more perhaps relevant to them and then how about the likes of someone like Michael Morpurgo? Is, is, is he a good author that children should be reading these days or is he slightly more in the past now? I would say um, due to the success of, of War Horse in particular, like he's managed to sort of like, um, you know, really uh, acquire a kind of canonical place, I guess, in, in children's literature. Um, he is a great writer. Actually, children love him because he's got a whole series um, to do with animals um, in his stories where the, the animals are the central characters. So your dog lovers, cat lovers, uh, lions, they're, they're all in there. And then boys obviously like history as well. You've got Private Peaceful and War Horse, um, Kensuke's Kingdom as well. That's a real staple of kind of year five kind of study. So no, Michael Morpurgo is a, a great writer and does a lot for children's literature, I think more widely as well. Like he started the um, children's laureate position um, as well. So mm. I think he's quite yeah. invested generally in, in literature. So now I give Michael my thumbs up. He can, he can stay. <laughs> no, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. And of course, we're living increasingly in a YouTube generation and shorter attention spans and social media. What can people do? What can parents do to encourage their children to read more when maybe their attention spans are getting shorter? Yeah, that's a really, really big challenge. Um, technology is, is um, you know, it's such an invasive part of all our lives now, um, and particularly for students. And a lot of parents have a lot of anxiety around, you know, there's no time for reading anymore or they're just not reading anymore because they're on their laptop or their smartphone or whatever. I would say, you know, your, your child is still reading. It's just reading in a different form, you know, and like you say, it's more the uh, chunked kind of length of what they're accessing um, online. So I'd say modeling is always really, really important with these kind of things. So you have to think about um, perhaps what we are signaling to our pupils as well. So hence, you know, I try really consciously when we have a reading lesson to make sure that I am reading as well and not on my laptop and, and whatever. And I think uh, having space for discussions at home can be really helpful in terms of what's being read as well. Um, and often just tapping into what they're interested in. You know, if your child is absolutely desperate to get on their laptop, like find out what it is they're absolutely desperate to go and do on there. And there are often ways that you can link English in to that without them really realising. And tell me about some of the different events that happen within the junior English department. What sort of things could we expect to see? Well, we like, again, exciting is, is the buzzword there. Um, so we uh, have lots of events that run kind of throughout the year for pupils in year six, seven and eight. That's what we refer to as our, our junior school. Um, so we kick off the year. October is National Poetry Day. So we do um, a poetry recital evening. Um, and actually every child in year six, seven and eight has to learn a poem um, off by heart, um, which is really lovely. And often at 
people's are filled with trepidation, but actually manage to do it. And even if it's just a line from a poem, I just think it's a really great thing to kind of have in your head and your heart as you kind of go through, go through your adult life as well. Um, so we start with our poetry recital evening, which is um, fantastic. Um, November, we have our very own literary festival. So we have six writers, poets that come into school and set up camp um, around our school site. And then pupils Ooh. travel to them and have workshops all throughout the day. Um, so that was very exciting. We had uh, Chris Bradford, the young samurai, uh, came into headline it this year with his sword. Um, I was very worried at one point that he actually was going <laughs> to take somebody's head off. I thought, oh, I haven't risk assessed that. Um, but that was great fun. Uh, and then that rolls into December and we have a team, uh, a group of uh, actors come in and they put on uh, a Christmas carol in the big school um, because a lot of our classes study that uh, in year seven. Um, gosh, then that rolls into January. January, we've just actually taken year eight to the Globe Theatre on the South Bank. Um, and then year eight, uh, in a couple of weeks time, each class in year eight puts on their own Shakespeare performance um, to parents. So that's Thursday, the 2nd of February, if you're looking for something interesting to do, do come along. Um, and then we roll around into uh, March where we take our literary society. We have uh, three different literary societies that run in the junior school. It's like an extracurricular club and we go away for a bank holiday weekend to Chiddingston Literary Festival. So we get to, again, just hang out with authors and, and have real great fun. Um, and so those are just a few of the headline things that kind of go on throughout the year, but it's pretty much an event a month. I, I drive the marketing department and the facilities Gosh. crazy. <laughs> good. Well done. But it's good well fun, done. yeah. <laughs> yeah, this does sound very exciting. Mm, All of it does. Yeah, it's great fun. Kerry, I'm keeping an eye on time. We should probably bring this to a close now. Um, but but I really appreciate you being here. It's been great talking to you. Two words I never thought I'd hear this morning when I woke up, at least together, were Shakespeare manga. I didn't expect to hear that yeah. at all today. So it's good to hear that. But thank you very much for being here. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. So that was Kerry Mason, Head of Junior English and Deputy Head of First Form. A huge thank you to her for taking time out to speak to us today. If you have any questions at all about English, then do get in touch with the school, phone number on the website and links in the show notes. Now, our next episode is coming out soon. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.